I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. And I'm Thanmay Laguda. And you're listening to Deep Cut. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to. Welcome to our second half of our exploration into the world of Indian director Mani Ratnam and our discussion today on his 1998 film and popular pick, Dilse, or directly translated to With All My Heart. And it is one of my favorite films of all time. Thanks to Thamai again for having me watch the film earlier this... It was not this year. It was last year. Last year. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I think this film really is Mighty Retinum at his greatest, at his most melodramatic, at his most political, at his most out there. And it is really impressive to see him doing this with a movie that probably reached the widest audience for him and him making this a very daring feature that really works in my opinion. How you choose to to see what the film is trying to say, we can Mm. get into that in our discussion of the film because it is very complicated and I don't think I fully get it, but (laughs) I think I get... (laughs) general gist of what what is wanted to be said and that is enough for me but but maybe not enough for some (laughs) 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 so set up (laughs) what did you guys think of dilce (laughs) after you ben i honestly do not know what to think (laughs) I think it was weird going in thinking I would like it more than Bombay and then at the end of it realizing I don't like it more than Bombay because mm-hmm. of the way this was kind of set up for me. So that was kind of interesting. <laughs> this is our fault. <laughs> yeah. It was Sorry, interesting. Dad. No, it's okay. No, but like I think honestly, I just d- really wasn't sure how to go at this. Mm. Right. So, but I actually feel like it's better for us to maybe do a plot summary before we start going into this mm-hmm. because that kind of gives a bit more context into the reactions because I think my main thing is that I'm not sure how to think of this movie because of what it seems to be on the surface. Right. Mm. Right. On the surface what it is is it's Amar played by Shah Rukh Khan falls madly in love at first sight with a woman played by Manisha Kuirala. <laughs> Who plays Magna? Magna? Yeah. Magna, right? Yeah. And Moina. Right. Well, so that confused me. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but <laughs> and I get it. she's a terrorist. Not and then <laughs> <laughs> who turns out to yeah. be a terrorist, and then he ends up being engaged to somebody else, but then still is in love with her because she keeps popping up. And then at the end of it, he pleads for her and still is in love with her. And things kind of blow up. <laughs> so that's kind of like the plot summary but I think the main sticking point for me that was making it difficult to invest in the film was within the first hour I wasn't sure how I was supposed to understand the romance Mm -hmm. between the two of them and if there is any romance at all correct like in when we were talking about Bombay I mentioned that I kind of let myself gloss over the fact that I felt like the film didn't earn its romance Mm mm-hmm but then I felt that as it went on, I was able to buy into it as the plot moved on, as time moved on, and you got to see them as a married couple in Bombay. But then with this one, what we have is um, Amar being extremely obsessed with a woman he doesn't know mm-hmm. and a woman who rejects him multiple, multiple times. Yeah. And you see him essentially force himself on her many, many, many times. and really invade her personal space and that stuff really made me feel very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because Manisha puts in a great performance of very little 
to work with in terms of dialogue to show you that she is a woman who has bucket loads of trauma behind her. And that trauma is only really shown to you at the end of the film. And it re- it's really gnawing to watch Amar keep pursuing her when clearly she doesn't want to deal with him. Mm-hmm. And so that plus the fact that we have multiple romantic song and dance sequences, which for me in this situation felt much more of a tonal disconnect compared to some of the stuff that is in Bombay. Mm-hmm that it felt really difficult to reconcile what I was looking at. Because if you just look at the song and dance sequences, you have something that feels like a romantic story about two people falling madly in love. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the not song and dance stuff and it's not that. And there's terrorism involved. And so I really wasn't sure how to go at this. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I just someone needs to educate me and like help me <laughs> like make sense of this because I just <laughs> felt so out of my depth watching it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I think difficult to reconcile is a good way to put it. I think that say, I think, is purposely giving you a lot of emotional, really heavy-hitting imagery and sound and performance and intellectually leaves you very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think that, once again, we talked last week about how the casting of Shekhar is really smart because he becomes an underdog who you root for. Yeah. Here, Shah Rukh Khan is a beautiful, compelling screen presence, and he is using that in the very end to twist your association with him and to really make you feel uncomfortable about having identified with him. Yeah. And I think that it's really intellectually constructed because Meghna slash Moina and Amar, they're microcosms mm-hmm. of larger historical forces that Rotnam seems to be playing with. Yeah. And I also don't know enough about those things, and I'm excited to learn more. I get the sense that he's doing something really kind of galaxy brain sized here. Yeah. <laughs> and I am pretty astounded by, again, Rotnam's skill as a director. And I'm pretty shocked by the way it ends. And also, I'm hashtag Team Preeti. Yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too, honestly. <laughs> she actually Love Preeti. About it. Yeah. But it's important that they don't end up together, of course, because it's about the obsession. And yeah. the things that Amar is projecting onto Magna slash Moina. How do I even start talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so From the I, heart. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's good. I will say, though, I think the very first time that I saw this movie, I had a very similar reaction to Ben. It was tough to reconcile a lot of the imagery and what was going on in the film. But then even with the first time that I watched the movie, there were certain things in this movie that I was like, I can't get them out of my mind. Like, they're just so compelling the way certain scenes are directed the way that like Shah Rukh and, and Manisha deliver certain things that like I kept. And so then I like watched the movie another time and then another time. There's a lot of different things to work with here. I think um, one thing is like, I think as Eli mentioned, if you think less of uh, SRK and Manisha as like characters and more as like ideological frameworks that are colliding with each other, I think this movie works in that way. I think another thing too is, this movie also engages with this kind of like 90s globalized Bollywood narrative uh, mm. that Shah Rukh Khan is like kind of the forefront of, you know, and mm-hmm. he is kind of this like, you know, he's typically had been cast in 90s movies as this lover boy who goes for the girl and tries to do his best. And but in other movies, you know, it's there's this process of normalization, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, as charming as they are, as as well as Shah Rukh Khan can pull them off, there's this process of normalization in there. And, you know, he ends up getting the girl. Here, I think Money Ruckman wants you to see that this is, like, actually very destructive, right? Like, because mm-hmm. it's, it's this whole, like, sociopolitical dilemma is kind of, like, wrapped in this Bollywood romance, right? And I put that in air quotes because this is not a Bollywood romance, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it is a movie about a man who obsessively stalked this woman, right? 
And on top of that, this woman is a terrorist slash revolutionary who sees Amr as emblematic of all the state violence and the trauma that she's experienced from the state. But there's still a part of her that wants to feel like she can love somebody like him. Yeah. I think something that's so interesting about this too, and something that I respect about Money Ratnam is that you have Shah Rukh Khan in your movie. You have the biggest budget probably in your entire career. You have the biggest audience, right? And then you decide to make this like doomer art piece <laughs> about the <laughs> irreconcilability of like liberalism and radicalism or yeah. whatever you want to see it as, right? Of the oppressed and the Indian center state. In the past, like, you know, I think when I had seen Dilse, I had, by that point, I had seen Bombay and the Nayakan, which he made earlier. Uh, there I was like, oh, like, he's a really great director. When I saw Dilse, I was like, man, this guy's a fucking filmmaker. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, it, that's the thing, right? Here he's in this, like, really abstract, really personal zone where he does not give a fuck, I think, <laughs> for the most part, about the audience. I think there's still a part of him that wants to get this message across and say something, but I'm like endlessly fascinated, I think. And like, it, and also kind of in love with the way that this movie plays with its own contradictions, uh, how it uses characters as allegories and, al and ideological frameworks. This is also probably one of my favorite movies ever, uh, precisely because of this reason, because it's just playing on so many different levels uh, that I don't think I've seen a lot of movies do. I really admire whenever a movie is playing with frustration of the audience's emotions in a way that's not purely for the sake of it, but for a thematic reason. Mm -hmm. I think even then, like, like after watching it, I was so confused and like, not sure how to like understand what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. So I started reading Letterboxd reviews and then you see the kind of mix of interpretations. So I was using that to kind of figure out how else I should approach this movie. And I see the points you're making right now, both Tamai and Eli, but I can't get away from the fact that it's hard to think about what this is on a surface level, right? Because as much as the thematic stuff is there, and I'm not saying that it's not visible or palpable, because I know he's trying to tell me something, or he's trying to show me something. But I feel like usually with something like this, this almost operates on a level of satire. Mm. which is interesting, but not really a straight satire, which I think is an interesting kind of space to be in. But usually with satire, you have a wink of some sort. Yeah. But here it feels like he's just, for me at least, jammed together his two different modes, like Bollywood romance, this political thriller, thematic stuff, and then he just put it together. And that interweaving for me was quite difficult to set through in a sense because I wasn't sure how to like watch it like as a viewer you know what I mean that element is partially what I'm responding to when I talk about frustration of the audience right. it feels like he's damaging the surface level right. popcorn entertainment yeah. movie to get you to dip your head below the surface I get that but I'm also <laughs> I, I was trying to like sit in I wasn't sure I was in for I was like alright I'm gonna sit in and, and go into it and then I was like okay I can't <laughs> <laughs> and that was like Maybe the first mistake I made. <laughs> right. I feel like it's definitely a hard movie to like really concretely talk about because it could mean a lot of things. But I think there are like some indications of what Money Rightnum's trying to say, especially with like how the whole opening or not the opening of the film, but like the first the first third of the film happens in a location where I guess the ethnic mi majority isn't, um, how do you, like... Yeah, yeah, they're it, an ethnic, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, like, they're it, Eastern states. Yes, yes. Yeah. And thinking about how so much of what India has been post colonization has sort of been from the fallout of partition and how that has really shaped the country like undeniably shaped the country and i guess consolidating 
all these different previously separate na- like states under this one big umbrella and then like the trauma that is endured from that and how the state enacts its violence on people in order to get them to conform like having that knowledge and going into this film for the second time knowing what happens and sort of understanding um what money retinum's trying to say it became so much clearer on this watch that it is not a romantic film at all like and i think the dissonance between the um the musical scenes and the rest of the film is sort of like how they it is like the fantasy that is um portrayed on the the, the like the tourist booklet or whatever like that we have a united country and this is the ideal right versus what is the reality that people are experiencing every day yeah it's hard but i think i don't know i feel like i can relate as someone who is within a similar Mm. living in a city that is in a similar situation Mm. in a way what you're talking about wilson of ratnam taking a hard look at what it actually means to be united as a nation Mm -hmm to have a union and the bloodshed that is necessary for that feels like a response to the across the board, let's hold hands and come together optimism of Bombay. Uh, Thamai's mm-hmm. nodding as I'm yes. saying this. So yes. I know I'm on something yes. here. <laughs> yes. But one of the smartest facets of the construction of this movie is that that message is coming through a protagonist played by Shah Rukh Khan, mm-hmm. where you're on board with him. I think it's so fascinating whenever a story can convey a critique of a character and what he stands for through his eyes. We experience the movie through him. The range mm-hmm. of narration, for the most part, is experienced through Amar. And we still end up with a critique of him and everything that he stands for. We can go in a number of directions here. Maybe let's get some hard historical context. Let's talk yeah. about some context for the movie. And then that'll open some doors for us to talk more concretely about specific scenes and what they're doing here. That sounds good. I have no hard historical context for, for India. India as a nation. Here we go. I mean, okay, I mean, I did, like, from my letterbox crawl, uh, like, a few words popped out, and a few time frames popped out. So this is, like, my scan stuff. I'm looking at Wikipedia now <laughs> for yeah. terrorism in India. A place that comes up a lot is Assam, which is apparently, according to Wikipedia, after Nagaland, the most volatile state in the region. And apparently from 79 till through the 80s was embroiled in a lot of I'm skimming this really fast right now, but (laughs) terrorist cells appearing from them protesting, it seems, state actions. Mm. So it's indigenous people of Assam demanded that illegal immigrants who had emigrated from Bangladesh to Assam be detected and deported. So we have like protests that began nonviolently and then they start coming under police action. Mm. But I'm not sure... Like, just with my scant reading of this, I'm not sure how violent this goes, but clearly this is a politically charged area for Ratnam to go into for a Bollywood musical. Um, because, like, the fact that this is 1998 and you still have the riots in Bombay, probably still fresh, and probably other incidents of terrorism and um, attacks that, that the local population is still kind of living with. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily on a day-to-day basis, but like with a living memory of. And so that's the kind of political climate he's coming into, right? When he's making this and choosing to use terrorism as a subject. To my knowledge, a lot of these eastern states, Assam, Nagaland, the the people who live there have a slight, they have a different sort of ethnic makeup, uh, religion and everything. And um, they, for the longest time, have been fighting for their own independence, right? They've been wanting to separate out of India. Because they feel like, I mean, you know, it's, you know, he talks about it in the movie when he's interviewing the, the rebel, the, the terrorist, mm-hmm. the leader of the terrorists, like, you know, we are not a voting bank for the Senate. We are not a voting bank. So no one gives us any resources. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And that's emblematic of kind of the history there. It's that these uh, terrorist organizations or revolutionary organizations have kind of popped up there uh, because they want to they want their own independence. Right. Like Ben was saying, that's kind of the context that uh, Ratnam is stepping into. Right. And I think this is like this is the most interesting part of it. Right. He's looking at what causes terrorism or what causes revolutionary action. And how is the state implicated in the creation of that? Right. Right. And that itself, that approach is not something that I've seen a lot of filmmakers who tackle terrorism really think about. Almost never American filmmakers. Never American filmmakers. I guess here's my question, uh, because I understand the thing that he's doing. So I'm just really curious, what is he saying then? If, If we're saying that he's saying that, then what is he saying that? How is the state causing these conflicts, and how do these revolutionaries arise from what the state does? Like what, what within this movie, and within the scenes and and stuff that it's throwing at us, and knowing this context, like what what is its argument, or what is it trying to put forth, or is it like Bombay, a whale? I don't read it as the same kind of whale. I think yeah. the actual specifics of what trauma Moina is holding on to, as you say, comes at the very end. Mm-hmm. And she herself is, as Thamai is saying, emblematic of larger ideological frameworks mm-hmm. and histories. So I guess similar to Bombay, it's playing on a specific issue in a somewhat fictionalized way, mm-hmm. which always creates some discomfort for me but in a way for me the fictionalization goes down easier in Dilse mm-hmm. than in Bombay because it's not recreating yeah. a specific tragedy do you guys agree with that yeah like i i do think like characters really stand for for things and it's not just the trauma that Megna has experienced in the past it is also the trauma that she endures whenever she's around amar the constant forcing into situations and forcing into romance that is sort of emblematic of these states being forced into a larger union with with india it re-traumatizes her here's something that i think really worked for me in terms of the connection, right? And I think something that supports what you're saying, Wilson, is that you remember there's a scene sort of, I think, a third into the movie where they're in Ladakh, right? Ladakh is an area in Mm -hmm. Kashmir. Kashmir is also another politically very volatile state, especially also right now. It's a disputed territory, whether or not India owns it or another country. So they're in Ladakh, right? And they're walking and Amr tries to force himself on, like, you know, mm-hmm. and he kissed her. He does. It's sexual assault, like what he does. Right. And then, you know, you have a scene that passes by. Right. And then you have another scene where he tries to touch her again. And then she has this like trauma response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at that point in the movie, you don't know what to make of it. Right. Yeah. You're like, what is going on? And he just like is going through these different emotions. And he's just like, doesn't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you see that same trauma response, is in the flashback mm-hmm. towards the end of the movie yeah. where it's suggested that a soldier like raped her, like one of the, an Indian soldier raped her. Yeah. That's that connection, right? That I think Wilson is making there. It's the connection between this romance or it's not even, you know, I can't, I don't even want to say it's not a romance. It's the way that Amr tries to force himself on her and the control he tries to put onto her is again re-traumatizing right in that point in the narrative because she's experienced this very traumatic thing that happened to her in the past right and then that connecting thing is this kind of like trauma response that she has right and i don't see this that as any other way but money Ruthnam trying to say that particular thing that wilson just mentioned it's also important the order in which that information comes right we get the trauma response panic attack in the desert first mm-hmm. when Amar is forcing himself onto Magna. And Amar's response is, you can't hold your emotions in. You've got to cry. He thinks that she is holding on to something that has to do with him, 
selfishly and projecting. And he's essentially saying, don't worry, my dear. It's just the movie that you're in. Mm-hmm. We're in a Bollywood movie. Mm-hmm. You've got you've to emote. And I think the audience at that point goes with that and says, yeah, yeah you're primed and conditioned to want to see them unite mm-hmm. and for the barriers to fall down and for them to have the kiss. But the real reason you learn later goes deeper than that. And I think Rotnam is quietly kind of punishing you for going with Amar's interpretation of the events. Yeah. Again, using your positioning alongside Amar as the protagonist yeah. in a way to castigate you. He really fully Trojan horses that in. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And he uses the biggest star in India to, to play India. <laughs> Which is bold. Yeah. I kind of had some resistance to the way that you are saying this might play out, Eli. I mean, personally for me, I don't have as much of a Bollywood viewing history. And maybe he is trying to play into the audience that is looking at Bollywood mm-hmm. more frequently than somebody like me. But within the first half an hour, I realized something was up and felt like something was wrong with Amar's character in terms of how I was positioned with him. Mm-hmm. And because if you were to look at this without the so-called rosy Bollywood lens, right? What Amar is doing is messed up from like the sec- the third time he is keeps approaching her, right? Yeah. Like this lady wants nothing to do with him. And then immediately I have a resistance to Amar as a character because I am not invested in him within that first third before you find out that she, like definitively find out that she is a terrorist. I mean, there's a lot of clues because it's throwing in all this stuff. But then I'm already like, yeah, maybe just back the fuck off, dude. And so that's where I'm started. And then it's so confusing to watch it with back the fuck off, and then here's three dance numbers about love. I understand where he's going, what he's going for, but then the the tonal whiplash for me was just too great. I mean, I think it's because I'm personally somebody who prefers straight storytelling, like very, not clear-cut, but rather people telling me what they mean. Because mm. I think maybe I'm just that kind of person. Mm. I tend to dislike stuff that's too ironic or too... Maybe too mm. galaxy-brained. <laughs> Where the surface level doesn't match the Correct. intent deeper down. That dissonance, I think, is a little, on that surface level, difficult to reconcile. Because it's confusing to watch for me when you have this grander thematic thing you're trying to kind of Trojan horse in, and you're playing me against myself. And then the problem I have is that him, as a filmmaker, is fully also reveling in his making of those song and dance sequences those song and dance sequences are played straight as big grand dance sequences and they're epic and cool and on their own they're all awesome but then within the context of this movie they are confusing and weird and have for me no place in here like no place in a movie and i personally just cannot let go of this problem i have with it then i agree with what you're saying about amar's actions are clearly clearly wrong throughout and what i'm talking about is i think you're supposed to be tricked into thinking you're supposed to root for him despite Mm. what you're seeing as clearly wrong yeah and i see i also agree with what you're saying about the frustration that comes with the surface level not matching what's deeper down i think that's all correct and i think i want to dig into a couple of differences between bombay and dilse that i think I find illuminating in some sense as to what Rottenham is doing here. So the first thing I thought about when you talked about those opening scenes was the difference between the love at first sight moment in Bombay Mm -hmm. and the love at first sight moment in Dilsay. In Bombay, he makes a full meal out of the shot of Manisha Koirala. The shot of her is held for a long time. You're in Shekhar's perspective, and you're also in Shaila Banu's perspective seeing Shekhar you are supposed to fully buy into it. In the train station sequence, when they see each other, the shot of Meghna slash Moina is a lot shorter. (laughs) I think that alone reveals something. And you don't get to see as much of her face when the cloth flies off her. It's the same construction of a cloth revealing her face. Yeah. But it's less glamorous. It's given less time. And you focus more on Amar's instant obsession. You see his face more. What I think this does is gets you to buy into his emotion, but you don't get access to hers. 
and there's room for some dissonance and critical reflection on the things that they're both feeling. Yeah. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I agree, um, I agree with and that. And another thing to add a little bit, Eli, to add to that is you see the way Rahman's score plays into this too, right? Mm. In the Bombay scene, that love at first sight, the score kicks right in, yeah. right? Mm. In this, the reveal happens, you get no score, and then you have that one medium shot of him, you know, of Shah Rukh Khan just kind of trying to talk to her, and all you hear is the rain, the train station. And then the music kicks in when she finally says something, right? Mm. When she's like a cup of hot chai. And then that's when the music comes in because it is feeding his obsession, yeah. right? Yes. It's feeding his obsession, and that's when he's like, oh, don't wait here, don't worry. And I think that slight difference helps construct how the audience is supposed to perceive it, right? Like in Bombay, it's like Rutnam wants you to buy into this reciprocal love. Mm -hmm. Here, Rutnam wants you to access or at least understand that right off the bat, Amar is obsessed with this woman. And it's even just the placement of the score. That's how yeah. specific this stuff gets, like in terms of the difference. Right. Okay, going off of this, we do need to talk about the musical numbers, as Ben's saying. Yeah. When I watched last night, I was thinking these musical numbers are spectacular. There's something different going on from what's going on in Bombay. Definitely. Because in Bombay, it's revealing both of their true intentions mm -hmm. and feelings. Mm -hmm. Both Shekhar and Shaila Banu, you're getting what they're feeling on the inside expressed through song and dance. In the musical numbers that happen in Dilse, I was confused, not by Amar, because he's expressing his emotions and it lines up with the way his character's acting pretty clearly. But for Meghna slash Moina, she is breaking character fully mm -hmm. in those musical numbers in just about every way. And it doesn't feel like an expression of her interiority, though I know at that point in the movie, I think I'm supposed to expect that she actually does harbor honest, earnest love for, for a mom. Yeah. That's not the case ultimately. So by the end of the movie, I come to interpret those musical numbers as happening from Amar's perspective. Definitely. They are what he is imagining yeah. Meghna is actually feeling. Yeah. In a similar way to what we talked about in our episode on You Were Never Really Here. Look at the episode, Banks, for that one. <laughs> where Ben talks about how certain scenes that happen outside of Joe's perspective could be interpreted as happening from Joe's perspective that he's imagining how those things happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm viewing the musical numbers as further putting us into Amar's perspective, sneakily, might I add, because normally musical numbers are sort of from multiple characters' perspectives and you're getting everyone's emotions, honestly. I don't think that's the case no. for Meghna here. Yeah. This is really interesting because I feel like based on the conversation we're having, I believe Rodnam's filmmaking here has the intended effect on me. I think mm -hmm. so. I think it's frustrating on purpose. But I think that's really interesting because it feels like he's almost making a movie that is critical of itself. Yeah. Which is pretty bonkers and strange. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know how, I mean, I honestly do not know what to say about that. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I can't say I'm a fan of it because I have a preference for more earnest filmmaking in that sense. Right. <laughs> but I see what he's doing. <laughs> I think he is also critical of the genre that he's in, mm -hmm. the actors that he's using, and you, not necessarily personally, but maybe Ben, more you, the royal audience. I do wonder, though, like about the response that this film has. When people like this film, do they like it for its Bollywoodness or for its undermining of its own Bollywoodness? So, like, to give some, you know, factual stuff. When this movie came out, it totally bombed. Like, <laughs> people did not like it. 100% people, it bombed. I mean, the soundtrack, like, was total banger, so it sold really yeah. well. But it... Totally bombed so in India. Um, and, you know, because like, you know, I know you saw the India talkies and I might be wrong on this. I'm not sure. But so Ma Money Ratham's company that he has, production company is Madras Talkies. So then he made a company, like a production company called India Talkies, where, you know, he partnered up with Shekhar Kapoor and Ram Gopal Varma, who are also like other filmmakers in India. 
And to my knowledge, what I've heard is like this movie be- failing brought that company down and kind of ruined Money Ratnam's <laughs> like uh, desire to make more movies in Bollywood. Oh shit! However, the movie did well in over you know overseas, and I mainly attribute that to like Shah Rukh Khan is kind of like uh, a globalized Bollywood hero, and yeah. I think mm. that's part of it that it did well. But I think audiences at the time didn't know how to respond to this. You know, mm. they did not know what they were going into or what type of movie they were making. Because, you know, because think about it, right? Like if you see if you don't know much about this movie, right? And you go to see this movie that's like, oh, I love Shah Rukh Khan. <laughs> you know, I love uh, DDLJ. I want to go see it. <laughs> I want to see I want to see Bill say, you know, it's from the heart, you know, like uh, and, <laughs> you know, and then you get this like definitely a movie that does not like fit all the, you know, when we talk about masala, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, we, you know, it's yeah. this kind of way that we talk about, like, the ways that uh, Indian popular cinema is constructed. When you talk about masala cinema, this does not fit all the categories that go into masala cinema. Like, there's virtually no comedy in this. There's no, mm-hmm. there's none, right? I mean, there's, like, moments here A little there, bit, here and there. <laughs> here and there, but it's, like, in masala movies, they make a b- bigger deal out of it, right? Like, of kind of, like, trying to make the audience laugh and, and stuff. Here, there's none of that, right? So it doesn't fit like the masala mold. And I'm sure when the audience went in and especially the ending, right? They were like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to feel? Um, and then I think with time, right? Like when critics started looking back at it, people started, you know, us cinephiles started looking at it. They started to see, I think, what Money Ruthnam was intending with the film, right? Mm. It is kind of one of those movies that I think uh, with time uh, has garnered new meaning like people are starting to understand this film differently starting to appreciate it differently and i think it's different audiences that are starting to appreciate it too right like it's it's people who look at movies like this right who will who want to think about everything like this rather than somebody who just wanted to see like a shahrukh khan movie mm-hmm. on their weekend i think the the masala film comparison you're making is really interesting because of the body of films i've seen the one that this reminds me of kind of is my hunna Hmm, which yeah. has this like um, spy plot with high school comedy hijinks thing going on. It's basically yeah. it's it's basically Twenty One Jump directed Street. by yeah. the choreographer of this film, Farah Khan. Oh, yep. Oh, and that one is kind of playing its action thriller stuff quite campy mm-hmm. and quite heightened. Here it is played more gritty and more realistic. Uh, you have fire, you have bomb defusal, you have a dark fight scene at the end where it seems like he might die. And that stuff is all played very serious. And so it's almost like, if I were to read it the way that, that we're talking about this, it primes you to think that those genres are start going together, using comedy to bridge romance and terrorism. Mm-hmm. But then that bridge never comes and it just refuses to connect. Because... You could see a version of this where the All India radio host falls in love with the terrorist and the terrorist falls in love with him and they kind of figure things out and it's like a mismatch romance kind of thing and then slowly aligns itself, but it refuses to go there. But that version you're talking about, Ben, is the fantasy, right? Yes. That is like the full fantasy construction right, of mm. what you want a movie like this to be. Correct. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that is what plays out in the musical sequences. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what, exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that this is what it's kind of playing in, with in terms of the context of Bollywood as well because it's playing within the context of Bollywood. Yeah, it's, it's a weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about my buddy Santosh Sivan for a second? Who, who shot this oh movie. Oh, Absolute king. Uh, I was reading up on him and he's like sort of the most lauded um, cinematographer in India and started the Indian Society of Cinematographers. And this movie is insane in how it looks. It is fucking ridiculous. From the pristine landscapes of the musical numbers and oh. the movement achieved by both the camera and the characters when they're dancing from a train to a to a desert to in front of a lake like bundled together <laughs> and, and under one cloth like india united in one under one red cloth it's it's so in 
insane and to the to the smaller scenes like the scene in the all india radio station where manisha and srk are just talking and the the door from the hallway that they're standing in oh, keeps on yes. opening yeah. and closing and whenever it, door. it closes because the door has a blue tint on it the color of the lighting that's hitting on their faces keeps on changing between blue and green that is the idea from bombay that full folding door sequence that ben talked about last week um that is just mm. this on a higher level <laughs> this is just like he's just like i'm gonna do this but i'm gonna add some shit to this it is like with color <laughs> yeah. and light <laughs> the temperature of the light changing it's is crazy yeah, yeah. No. i like that that beat that you also mentioned wilson where they're dancing in a snuggie together yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um but that's it <laughs> go on how every every setup feels intentional and deliberate in delivering you visual beauty and greatness and just how you can tell that so much thought was put into every setup in this movie and it is such an incredible feat it's a necessary part of what rotnam's trying to do also with keeping you on board with the spectacle of the genre that he's working in, especially in those musical numbers, so that you don't get a lot of critical distance until the ending from the genre expectations. Another thing that Sivan is doing that I'm not sure if it's intentional, but I imagine it has to be, is that the focus is out in a number of shots, either in parts of the frame or the entire frame is out of focus. And to me, that felt like a little hint as to something's amiss and things aren't perfect, but I might also be reading too far into it. Which parts are you thinking of? It's a number of shots. There, there's a shot of a Mars family that's out of focus. There are some shots that almost look like they're tilt shift lenses, but mm. kind of only the middle of the shot is in focus, like the shot of when Amar is visiting mm. the terrace and is interviewing their leader. I think that might just be a function of the anamorphic he's using. It could be. Where like yeah. the, the edge of the frame is usually kind of warped and, and out of focus. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes there are shots that are fully out of focus. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, re I remember <laughs> moments. And I think that's intentional. I think that's interesting. Now that I'm in this mode of thinking of this movie as somewhat having an ironic kind of position in that sense. Like thinking of like scenes, like for example, when Amar sees Magna bathing and yeah. that's played with such romantic and erotic intent mm. in the way that it's filmed, that like you have like this soft glow um, that's on her. She's very isolated within a very dark uh, bathing pool of some sort. And you have this shot reverse shot between them where it feels like some kind of connection is possibly happening. Mm -hmm but isn't but that's really interesting because then it plays out like it should be that final lightning bolt where something is supposed to happen between them but of course it doesn't and there are scenes like that that kind of make you feel like it might be going towards the masala film that we are hoping it would become yeah <laughs> um we're talking about the the dance sequences and we've already talked about how we're all team pretty and it's really interesting how, like, if I were to, like, you know, like, really go self-aware into my own emotional kind of graph as I'm watching this, what's really interesting is that when the song and dance sequence between Amar and Pretty comes along, there's an immediate comfort that I felt. Like, this makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And it clicks. That is really interesting because... Yeah, because you're like, okay, this is this is a Bollywood movie that makes more sense. You know, this is a couple that might not really be in love, but they could be in love, right? They have banter. Correct. And then it kind of makes more sense. And then very quickly, because of Magna's reappearance, he is wrenched away from that <laughs> ideal Bollywood movie. So I think 
That's something that I think is very emotionally palpable if as a viewer you were to really look at how you feel as you watch it. And I think that is quite a subtle way of kind of of showing Ratnam's hand and and what he's trying to do with the film. Yeah, I think it's it's probably intentional that you're supposed to be hashtag Team Preeti, who, to (laughs) clarify, is a lady who Amar's mother wants to set him up with and Mm -hmm. he starts to fall in love with and who he becomes engaged to. But yeah, as Ben's saying, Magna comes back into the picture. Sort of a reverse DDLJ situation we have on our hands. <laughs> yes. You're supposed to want it to happen because it's better for Amar the character. But Rutnam keeps you in the space of the thornier pairing, I guess, mm-hmm. is the most platonic way to put it. Mm-hmm. It's funny you make the DDLJ comment because I was reading that Kajol almost play that role <laughs> would have been crazy right would have been which would be crazy. i'm not sure that is that true it's on the wikipedia page it could be wrong because based let's on just, the, the let's interviews, just say it's true for our own fantasy of a world that could have been yeah because <laughs> um, that would have so, been completely insane <laughs> i don't know if this would have worked not to discount kajol as an actress because she's amazing mm-hmm. though i don't know i don't know if this movie would have worked with kajol mm-hmm. at this point in time because Kajol and SRK have been in, at this point, had been in a lot of movies and they were going to be in Kuchkuchotahe this year, right? right? Yeah. And yeah, I don't think it would have worked with Kajol. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think Manisha brings in something that is extremely intense and internal. Oh. Yeah. That makes this work. It is really um, on another level. Yeah. She's like in a different movie from SRK. Yeah. It is so intentionally hard to read her. So, like, you were talking about that bath sequence mm-hmm. earlier in the in the conversation mm-hmm. and what in her face you could read as lust or, I don't know, anticipation. Um, on this rewatch, I was very clearly reading that as fear and, mm-hmm. like, get away yeah. from me. And the relief that happens when he yeah. actually closes the door instead of walking into the room. And I do really encourage both Eli and Ben to to like rewatch it again, sort of knowing how things play out and what is being said, because I think things were so much they they, they just became so much clearer to me on a rewatch. Like that knowledge, it's just like Retinum sort of just like playing four D chess, and and we're just pawns. <laughs> yeah, I've watched this movie in like four times now. I think. And the scene that always, for some reason, I don't, I don't know how to place it, but like, for some reason, always like, I get like, watery eyed. I don't know what, it, what about the scene, it, but it's the scene where they're in, there's this like, kind of temple, like, it's, it's all, it's like the nighttime, they're in the temple, and they're about to go to sleep. And, you know, and then he's like, Amar kind of goes to her side, and he's like, oh, you know, let's not fight, let's just talk. And I think this this is interesting because I think it uh, he's asking her like tell me three things that you don't that you uh, that you like and then she talks about like what does she say she's uh, her mother's hands yeah she's like her mother's hands and then like the pairing with the Rahman score at you know with that and then how Santosh's camera kind of like slowly comes like in zooms in oh so beautiful. it zooms in and you're just like there's something about like the pairing of all that element and I think. Part of it, too, is like we don't get a lot of access to her character for most of the movie. But that is when and then the first time we really hear something about her is when she talks about she likes her mother's hands. She likes the pigeons on the village temple. She likes poetry. Yeah. And it, it, like something about like getting that access to her character in that moment and how Ratnam blends all these elements. I don't know. There's something I always get like an out of body experience when I watch that scene. I'm just like just swept away in it. I don't I don't I don't know. Like, I don't know how much more to say than that. Other than I think it's because there's a lot of like blocking of her interiority in this. Mm -hmm. And then you get such immediate access and then how that kind of plays into her backstory, too, and how she became revolutionized, too. And when you consider that scene later, uh, you know. Uh, on a rewatch or whatever or maybe when you're thinking back on it yeah it's just simultaneously romantic but also really really tragic and heartbreaking 
at the very top of the episode, Thelma, you mentioned that there maybe is a part of Magna that wants to be loved for who she is and wants to see herself as as lovable and capable of of love of Amar. And I think something that strikes me about this scene is that Magna is honestly, earnestly opening up to Amar. And the way that Amar meets it is by smooth talking and trying to woo her instead of responding honestly and receiving what she's saying in an earnest fashion. He's still stuck in the genre that he's in and not able to meet her in a real way. It continues till the end of the film when she has that major flashback where she talks about her family getting killed and her getting raped. And Mm -hmm. his response is that, oh, and you still want to terrorize us? Are you like you like, do you you choose terrorism over our love? Not even trying to sympathize with her at, at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, it's not about you. <laughs> it isn't. Yeah. Bruh. Bruh. <laughs> Epic bruh moment. <laughs> Speaking of the way things end, can we talk about the very ending and the significance of Amar choosing to, shall we say, stay with Megna permanently? <laughs> So from the intermission onwards, the main plot of the film, it goes back into the city and it shows Megna and the other group people in her reactionary group planning a terrorist attack uh, during a a national day parade. The ending has Amar trying to, to get to Megna to profess his love, but also to stop her from carrying out this terrorist attack and on his way there he sort of brushes with the authorities and tells them that he will help them stop the attack also if he was not uh, an agent of the state before working for the national radio he is very fully an agent of the state now oh yeah and he finds magna and she tells him that she has a bomb on her and he he sort of tells her that he 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 just wants to be with her forever, and he he sort of indicates that he wants to die, um, with her in order to save other people from her suicide attack. He hugs her, and then they hug tighter, and the, the explosive goes off, and it kills them both. And then the movie ends. <laughs> Some important details also are that. Amar says to Moina, just say you love me. Just say you love me. Like, at this point, it seems clear that he knows he's not going to get the kiss. Yeah. And he doesn't. But he doesn't even get the I love you. <laughs> They're just hugging. It's a sudden, like, whip zoom out. Boom. Explosion. You hold on the explosion. And then the credits come <laughs> up. Thama and I were watching this <laughs> concurrently and texting as, as we watched. Let me read you my reaction. <laughs> At 11.45 p.m. last night, I text on mine and say, all caps, what? Uh, no. Parentheses, lowercase, but also yes. He says, yup. I say, damn. Then, all caps, credits immediately. I stand by my reaction. And I also think it's the right way to end the movie because there's no better way to leave the audience than as shaken up as possible. Yeah. Because you necessarily have to think, what was that? What was the intention behind this? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're unpacking right now. Yeah. Um, what, a, what a great way to end this movie. It's really kind of, it's just shocking. really is. And allegorically speaking, it makes sense as well. It is like you, they, they cannot exist together. It, it, it will not work. It will explode. He's also not presenting a solution to the problem as he does in Bombay. Yes. Which I think would be right. fallacious to a certain extent to say this can be solved. Amar doesn't change and he remains obsessed because Rutnam doesn't want to placate the audience on an issue. He wants to draw their attention to an issue. 
Mm-hmm. So what do you think he's with this ending trying to specifically draw attention to aside from that kind of a broad strokes idea of radicalism and liberalism cannot coexist? Like what is the thing? Cause I asked this previously um, and I just, this is my big question. Like, like if, if it's going to ask us to ask the question of what's, what's the movie trying to say, then does the movie say anything specific? Here's what I, here's my, what I think about it. Um, I'm asking not because I think it's not doing it. I'm asking because I don't know if it's doing it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we talk about you know these you know allegorically too. But I, I think another thing to point out is like the last shot you get is Moina going in for the tighter hug, right? Mm. Mm. And there, you know, we talked a little bit about how she feels like she's deserving of love, but at the same time that Amr is also emblematic of all the trauma inflicted upon the state, right? I think there's a little bit there about her succumbing to her own desire to be loved generally, right? And to be to feel wanted, to be feel represented in a country uh, where she feels she does not have representation. Mm-hmm. And then so she goes in for the tighter hug. And then that's when you get that whip pan zoom out and, and, and the explosion, right? So there is that like, lack of you know that you know inability to for those ideologies to coexist but i think there's also something about the cinema itself not being able to resolve these conflicts Mm, yeah Mm, yep you know nice there's something (laughs) there about especially like the quickness into which it goes into the credits right yeah it's like okay movie's done Fuck off. Right? (laughs) All right, fuck off. And it's, there's something here. It feels like that ending feels like such an antithesis to the thesis of Bombay or what Bombay wants to leave you with. Yes. Because Bombay's like, this is the solution of all of us getting together. Indian secularism is the greatest. Yeah. Right? Mm. Here, it's like, wait, about this Indian secularism thing, (laughs) I don't think we can solve this with movie. I don't think movies have the capability to resolve these issues. And that's the part that I'm like, man. <laughs> you know? I don't know if you guys agree with me about that, but about like the, I think that's something Mani Ratham is trying to present here. I think he's like, my movie can't solve this. My movie can't solve this. Yeah. But it can identify the problem. It can mm-hmm. identify, right. Yeah, That's interesting what you're saying, Thamai, because it feels like, I think my main friction here, the reason why I keep asking this question is because I feel so unsatisfied by the answer of, here's a problem. Because I think he's yeah. only allowing himself space to say, there's a problem here and I don't think we can solve it. And he's not necessarily trying to talk about how this problem arises or why this problem arises. He's just saying, we are at a, at a cataclysmic like tipping point and it's going to ignite it's almost kind of what i feel like you're getting at am i it's interesting because earlier on i asked if this movie was a whale like bombay but based on your reading of it am I, it sounds like this movie is more of a whale than what bombay is bombay is a whale asking Ooh. you to hug this is just a scream it's a scream that doesn't it doesn't it's not saying anything it's just screaming i don't think that satisfies me personally but it is a big scream that that throws all these ideas to completely discombobulate you, as I am right now, and still am, and doesn't give you anything to reconcile. And I think that that has some merit in terms of being something, I don't know, like it's just so different from what you would expect from mm. the region as well as from the genre and all the things that he's pulling from and refusing to kind of elegantly mesh together in a way that that would satisfy me as a viewer or seems like most viewers <laughs> at the time. I kind of want to push back a little bit on okay. Ben, when you're talking about like how money Ruthven doesn't give you an idea of like the system. Mm-hmm. I think he absolutely does. Okay. Right. Like, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, right. He gives you an idea how state violence and that, how that leads to radicalism. Right. Right. And how Amar is also an agent like an agent of the state in many ways in terms mm-hmm. of its yeah. ideological stance 
uh, and then later, like actually an agent of the state. Yeah. Right. And he's also right. he's also he comes from a military family. It's like it's written into the backbone of his character. Yeah. Hmm. It's there's this kind of I wouldn't call it cyclical, but unquestioning. Un- yeah. Right. There's this system that he does draw attention to and in a way that like is kind of flipped, right? Like this idea of like state violence and everything comes at the end and then you see Amr's part in it. And then when you reflect back on the movie, so it, it, it doesn't like it's not like, oh, this is how the system works. And then it starts and then it kind of shows you from beginning to the end, kind of dumps all of it at the end. And then you kind of reflect on the rest of the movie hmm. and see how he fits in. Right. Like and that's kind of the bit that I want to push back on, because I think he does it. But in kind of a I wouldn't say inverted, but in kind of a like in a way that's maybe not communicated in a linear way. To me, the point of that is to instill a sense of guilt or shame in the audience Mm -hmm. because it comes with a feeling of, well, if I'd known that earlier, I might have rooted for different characters. Mm. And I think that shame is constructive to take out of the theater and into the world. Mm. Again, it does not placate you. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you on those points. Osama, before we close out, do you want to give the three of us some Money Rutnam recommendations if we enjoyed these two movies? Which other other movies should we start out with? Yeah, for sure. And I hope you guys are, after watching these two movies, more interested in him as a filmmaker. And, you know, I hope you guys have gotten something out of these films, you know. Absolutely. uh, And uh, so I think one movie that I would recommend is probably... Irver, which is the movie that he made before this in 1997. I know because because the thing with that movie is like if you ask like the average the Ratnam fan what they're what he what they think his masterpiece is, they'll say it's Irver. I personally don't think it is. I mean, I think it's like very fascinating and really good, um, but I don't think it's his masterpiece. But Irver is one I think that's something you guys should watch. He makes a movie in 2002 called Kanatil Mutamital, which is really good <laughs> amazing yeah. really really good and uh yeah good wilson movie. loves good wilson movie loves i really love that movie yeah. yeah great kid in that movie as well yeah and then another movie that i would recommend too is the ravenan which he made in 2010 so which is one of his more recent films and yeah that movie i watched might have been the most recent movie i've watched of his and it just like totally bowled me over it is very good too. And it plays with like inversion, the inversion of like Hindu, like the Ramayana, which is like a Hindu text. And, and, but then it kind of like complicates it with different things. And, you know, it, I think it's really an interesting watch also. Yeah, I guess those are three movies I would recommend if you guys want to keep looking into his stuff. Thanks, Damai. Thank and you. really thank you for showing us these movies. I feel like you've expanded my brain a little bit <laughs> and my heart. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I'm I'm glad uh oh that I'm touched. Um but uh no I mean that sincerely, you know, from the heart. I mean it, you know. And oh. um yeah. <laughs> and uh and I'm glad you guys watched these movies and were able to cuz a frustration that I I've always had, I think Wilson kind of touched about it, touched on it in the Bombay episode is like I feel like especially in like constructions of canon especially in the west for international cinema you know, and, and and the discussion with Indian cinema is usually limited to Satyajitre, Gurudat, uh, Gatak sometimes. But I don't think people really talk about Mani Ratnam that much besides, like, outside of India, uh, especially in these Western, you know, these kind of Western cinephile spaces. And I think people need to start watching his movies. I don't know. I, I yeah. think there is such a mastery of the form, you know, and especially talking with Bill Say, like, how he constructs this viewing experience and the way that he wants you to feel and the way he takes you through and, and then plainly on i think his like formal mastery of of like what he's trying to do that i think he needs to be more considered in these spaces he his movies need to be watched yeah i that's that i think that's it i just think people just need to watch his movies they they should have i mean i'm gonna go back to like the what bong joon ho said during the oscars where he was like you shouldn't be afraid of that one inch uh what is it difference with the subtitles you know you and even if like bollywood is for western viewers so different right Hmm. uh or not even bollywood but like indian popular cinema like there's a lot of 
interesting stuff happening in there, yeah. formally, thematically, that I think people just need to consider more, you know, like, and people need to just yeah. like watch these movies. Um, and that's just something I've always been championing, whether, you know, whether I was on the film series at Wesleyan trying to program movies there mm -hmm. or just like talking to people, yeah. you know, uh, in our spaces. With that very persuasive and effective call to action to broaden our cinematic diet, we'll say thank you, Thamai, for coming on the show. And I hope that you come back real soon. Yeah. This has been a really fun time. And yes. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Can't wait. Same here. And this is my first time on a podcast. So I hope I don't, I don't know, alienate your viewers by just being definitely on here. Definitely not possible because we have no viewers. We only have listeners. Oh, true. Right. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Regardless, I hope, uh, I hope I've brought something and I hope to be back soon. Um, yeah, I, this was amazing. And I, and I love talking about, I love talking about money wrestling. So thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Cut Pod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you will find a link in the description. Thank you to Justine Yam for a beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. I'm Tanmai. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Perfect. Thank you. Yay. Thank you, Tanmai. <laughs> ben, I will say when I saw your three stars... <laughs> I was a little...